Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. In next week's episode, I'll be discussing the NBA and what's going down with the playoffs. I'll be touching on the MLB and what's happening there. I'll be taking a look at the WNBA, and we will have our best for last. Now, remember, follow at Sports on Twitter and IG for breaking news, show updates. But like I said, I'm on there constantly, especially Twitter, for breaking news. And don't forget to follow the show, like, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Now, remember, at JTime Sports, and you can find the show on iTunes and Spotify. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome in everyone to the show. Welcome, 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 welcome into another edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Justin Jackson, and what a wild world of sports we have been having over the past few days. Absolutely insane what's happening historically, what's happening First time, you know, we got performances we hadn't seen in 50 years. We've got a baseball changing their life. We've got WNBA, you know, dealing with a very unprecedented season of their own. You've got the NBA, of course, in their very unprecedented playoffs. And next, we're going to jump right into with a quick recap of what's happened so far, or at least what happened in round two. Since, of course, I guys, round two ended between shows. And so... We're going to start off with the Atlanta Hawks beating the Philadelphia 76ers in seven by winning game seven in the Wells Fargo Center. Oh, that happened last Sunday. Uh, absolutely um, could be a landmark water slide, watershed rather, kind of game in both franchises. For the Atlanta Hawks, it raised expectations from now until the end of the Nate McMillan era, Trey Young era. You got that squad, you can go win a championship. You got that squad, you can be, you should be competing for the top three, two or three seeds and competing for the right to um, go to the Eastern Conference Finals, even the NBA Finals, uh, because you've got that squad. For the Philadelphia 76ers, of course, it calls into question Doc Rivers again. He's notoriously or infamously known as a choke artist, as a coach. He's uh, he, out of the last eight biggest blown leads in the last two playoffs. Doc has coached four or five of them. He's uh, lost the most 3-1 leads in NBA history as a coach. Um, now, again, some of that is he's also coached forever. He's been around several different stops. He's had Orlando. He's had Boston. He's had the Clippers. He's had um, there was another team I can't think of right now. But now he's currently with the Philadelphia 76ers. So part of that, being a good coach, you're going to be in position to go to playoff games. You're going to be in position to lose leads. I mean, should he lose that many leads? Of course not. But he's in a position where, due to his own success, he's in a position to continue to lose those leads. So it called into question Doc Rivers. It called into question Tobias Harris. Uh, We look at Tobias Harris, at least I do, as the number two option on that offense at all times because Ben Simmons is not an aggressive offensive player. He's a playmaker and a defender. So we look at Tobias Harris to be Joel Embiid's scoring partner. You know, Joe, we don't know what number Joel is going to go above 25-30, but we know he's going to give us 25-30. We do not know, however, who's going to be his number two. 
Um, I mean, according to them, according to Philly, what we've seen, it should be Tobias Harris. And if you got a number one going for 30 a night, your number two needs to come in with 22, 23. Uh, if he goes anything lower than 22, 23, it should be incredibly efficient. And you should have your number three kick in more points than he's supposed to. But your number two, your number one, and your number two option should go for 40, um, about 55 points a night combined. So a 30 and a 25 or a 35 and a 20, you know, but. And the more weight the number one puts on his shoulders, the less the number two has to do, although he needs to be efficient. And Tobias Harris was not that at all times for the Philadelphia 76ers. He often he often was not that for the 76ers. But the blame and the blame, I mean, you know, I was worried before we shift to the blame. You know, I was worried about him beat the whole series. He showed signs of the knee. Uh, you had some people questioning whether that was due to pride, pride hurting more than his knee. I'm not playing, having a bad stretch, and then um, um, I'm wincing my knee, guys. I got a meniscus, which he did have a meniscus injury, but it, it didn't seem to be when he was going seven for seven, eight for eight in the first quarter that he was wincing. But then third, fourth quarter, maybe that could have came on with fatigue. Uh, maybe just up and down, up and down, up and down on it. Finally started to wear down, but it seemed third and fourth quarter when his production fell off a little. That is when the wincing increased. So maybe. That uh, was a situation where Embiid maybe could have showed a little bit more toughness, uh, not show so much outward pain, not mentally allow himself to think or to plan for a wincing or some sort of injury to his knee. Um, instead, he could have, you know, tried to fight through it, mentally block it out, things of that nature. But of course, the blame in Philadelphia and around the NBA world, it's been a talk of the last few days, uh, talk of the last week, really. Ben Simmons, um, in the fourth quarter, they played seven games. He only shot the ball. He only shot the ball, attempted a shot in three of the four fourth quarters. So that means in four of the fourth quarters in seven games, Ben Simmons did not shoot a shot. He did not attempt a field goal, whether that be a layup, a dunk, a jumper, a floater, a running hook, a three-pointer, anything. He did not officially make a attempt at a shot in four fourth quarters of a seven game series. That was the in a flashpoint play and Embiid referenced it after the game. And I'm sure it frustrated Doc to the high heavens. I was absolutely flabbergasted. I couldn't believe my eyes. Um, many of the uh, commentators and talking heads, people that do what I do, uh, we all had the same reaction. It's oh my, that didn't like nothing. It didn't make sense. It almost looked like a glitch in 2K. Like when you don't believe you're gonna make the move and you pass, you're already you're already pressing the pass button, and so you're passing, and then you realize, oh crap, I was wide open. Ben Simmons made it a, a beautiful post spin type move on Danilo Gallinari, absolutely spectacular. The Sixers were down, I want to say three at the time, and he does a drop spin. It, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, textbook what pe people should show it at, at camps it was it was that nice of a drop step and he post spin and he gets right to the rim two feet down and he passed the ball to Matisse Thibel in your head and I'm sure you've seen the play but in, in it's almost like you wanted there to be a person in front of the rim that Ben didn't see or that we couldn't see at the initial angle you you, you want it like I don't know him to duck or something like there was some mythical force or some 
you know, invisible force stopping him, or you wanted something other than the fact that the six foot ten guard forward, six foot ten forward, decided after doing a beautiful post spin with only Trey Young, who's five foot eleven. I don't care. NBA.com says he's six foot one. They have Chris Paul listed at six feet, and Chris Paul is taller than uh, Trey Young, so somebody's lying. But you have the you know five foot eleven guy. Regardless, he is one foot shorter than Ben Simmons, give or take a couple inches. And you pass the ball to Matisse Thybul, who not only was not anticipating the pass, he was in traffic. Now he was cut into the rim more to help clean up anything in case you missed the layup or something but you pass the ball to Thibel so it would have been a guaranteed big play crowd going crazy dunk turns into one made free throw the crowd's not going crazy Atlanta keeps a, a, a kind of a possession lead and they keep a two point lead and it's just the crowd was deflated now I won't I won't venture to say Ben is unfixable um, as one of Ben Simmons' biggest supporters, it definitely strongly affected my stance on supporting him. I'm no longer going to do that at this time. Uh, I'm no longer going to um, be a Ben Simmons defender, as they're called nowadays. I'm not definitely going to defend Ben Simmons here. Um, but what I will do is I will say he's not unfixable. He shot 70-some-odd percent uh, from the free throw line through his career and 70 some odd percent from the free throw line just last playoffs uh, the last time he's in the playoffs and this time he shot 32.4 percent if memory serves me correctly which is well as it sounds rather atrocious 32.4 percent is the lowest free throw percentage ever in the playoffs given x amount of shots so let's just go with the lowest free throw percentage ever in the playoffs um by main player especially with 32.4 percent absolutely terrible i i it got to the point when that you know, people are speculating now did he pass up on the dunk for fear that they would foul him hard enough he wouldn't get the and one and he'd be forced to go to the line down three in that situation um i won't venture into guessing his mental health I won't venture into trying to figure out is that why he passed up the layup or the dunk, uh, being grabbed or being fouled to the point where you can't finish the, the 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 shot. You're now in a position where you have to go make the free throws, and so maybe he was trying to avoid that. Maybe he figured, you know, if I make if I miss two free throws down three, the hair is gonna leave the building. Well, they left the building anyway, Ben, and you might have played your last game in Philly. Uh, we're getting rumors now, according to Stephen A. Smith, that um, the Golden State Warriors have called, that calls have been made. I don't know who called who, but calls have been made regarding Ben possibly going to Golden State. You have uh, Stephen A. proposing that um, he go to Portland in exchange for C.J. Uh, McCollum. You have several different outlets reporting that Ben Simmons will never play for the Philadelphia 76ers again. Although you have 76ers brass saying that, hey, we're trying to figure out a way to move forward with, with Simmons. Uh, Rich Paul, who's uh, obviously famously LeBron's agent, he's also Ben Simmons' agent. And they met with Philadelphia management in regards to Ben's future. Um, man, it's, it's, um, 
it's a harsh situation for Ben Simmons. And you have to forget, he just signed his rookie extension. So he's all of 23, 24, maybe 25 years old. Um, and he's in a spot where he is probably going to be on another team. Um, especially when he was looked at one of the pillars of the team. They're probably going to move off of him because Philly's in a bad spot. They're, they're Simmons, Harris, and Embiid tie up $100 million in cap space out of a projected 121 cap. So that leaves you nine to 12 more spots with $20 million. So it is going to be very hard for the Sixers to survive that way, which is why I expect one of them uh, to be traded. And by one of them, I mean Simmons to be moved. Um, not sure where. Uh, for him, ideally, the situation would be Golden State. I mean, presumably he's get traded for Draymond in a pick or Andrew Wiggins in a pick or Oubre in a couple of picks. You know, I, but ideally he'll end up on a team with Steph Curry and at least Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and either Andrew Wiggins or Draymond Green. So ideal situation for Simmons. Uh, Basketball-wise, I'm not sure where he could go because he makes so much money. You probably have to take a key piece away from the situation to get him in the situation. So I'm not sure where he is, um, where he is market-wise, market value-wise, but it's definitely something to look at. On the other side of the East, the absolutely dandy of a series between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets came to a conclusion with the Milwaukee Bucks taking it in seven. Uh, my original prediction was Bucks and six, so I was a little off. You know, it happens. It happens. I'm not perfect. I was a little off, but the Bucks ultimately sent the Brooklyn Nets home um, due to injury, unfortunately. Obviously, Kyra Irving sprained his ankle. Uh, James Harden reactivated his hamstring. Put Katie in a situation he wasn't accustomed to, which is carrying lesser pieces to the promised land. Um... They he played a great game. Unfortunately, his send it, his season ended on an air ball uh, to try and send the game into another period. Unfortunately, like I said, it wasn't air ball, so Brooklyn lost. Uh, Kevin Durant was in his 53rd of 53 minutes. He played every minute of the game, similar to what he did in Game Five. And uh, unfortunately, like in game, unfortunately, not like in Game Five uh, for Brooklyn. The Brooklyn Nets took an L. As opposed to um, as opposed to how they did in Game Five when Kevin Durant went off with eight minutes, they won Game Five. And so, having that being said, it puts in a few people in the context. For Kevin Durant, absolutely dynamite of a score. Unfortunately for him, he didn't win. So when you don't win, your scoring kind of gets lost in the ether a little. Um, it's funny that series is going to be remembered more for injuries. And the fact that Brooklyn lost, then pretty much what Kevin Durant did on the court. Kevin Durant played amazing enough to cancel Giannis. Because um, Giannis had a couple of great, great games in that series that were canceled because Kevin Durant went ballistic. And so a couple games from Giannis that are going to be all-timers or should be all-timers are going to be lost. And then when you lose, of course, you don't get nearly the pizzazz you would get if you would have won the game. And so that is an interesting uh, situation for the Nets. James Harden, still ringless, you know. This time, you know, he was in Oklahoma City, gets traded to Houston, moves pieces in and out of Houston religiously, um, before leaving himself. And Brooklyn, like I said, undefeated. That is the first time, or Brooklyn rather, it, uh, is ringless. 
this is the first time that he has been on a team where um, they were unquestionably supposed to win. Because you can even say in 2012, I mean, you can definitely say in 2012 when they played the Heat, they were supposed to lose. I mean, they won game one, but then they got swept the last four games. They were supposed to lose the Miami Heat in 2012. And then if you take a look at uh, the other series in Houston, they were never really supposed to win those series, especially the Golden State ones. Now, the one against San Antonio where James absolutely went to the tank and then proceeded to right after going to the strip club, ah, it's a different story. But the Golden State series, and then the one against the Heat when he was OKC, he was never considered the favorite um, in any of those series. They had Golden State on the ropes, down 3-2, or up 3-2, rather. And then Chris Paul, Hammy goes, and then um, James Harden and the rest of the Rockets go. They missed 27 straight in a row. And then you're looking at a single-digit loss. And again, you probably should have won running away with it. Um, so when you look at it that way, and then you couple with his injury, maybe James Harden is not supposed to win a ring. He's definitely, in my opinion, the greatest player never to win one, or the most talented player never to win one. Think about it. Um, who's in that argument? It's him. It's Chris Paul. It's Charles Barkley. Um, it's Allen Iverson. and stuff. People like Tracy McGrady, Grant Hill. And so there's so many different talented players who have not won championships. However, I would say that James Harden is the best out of the group. He still does not have it. Still not have one, rather. Um, Steve Nash, in his playoff debut, did not do well. I think he overused James Harden. He definitely overused Kevin Durant. Yes, Kevin Durant had the physical capability of going 48 minutes. Yes, he had the physical capability of going 53 minutes. But they could have at least done a, a LeBron approach to how they handled him in Cleveland, which is he will play 44 minutes, 45 minutes. What can happen is when the use of TV timeouts, then they can use um, TV timeouts and then the commercial breaks and then in the quarter breaks to where LeBron used to sit on the bench for 10 minutes, but he only missed two minutes of game time. And so that was something I thought Steve Nash or Kevin Durant would implore that the organization do some sort of what I like to call stealing rest policy, where, yes, it may look like he's only he's played 44 out of 48 minutes, but he's gotten massive 10 minute breaks uh, right after the first or right before the first entering the second right before the third entering the fourth. So he still plays a vast majority of the game, uh, 44 out of 48 minutes. Just He just does it with um, the ability to steal actual time on the court, to uh, steal actual time on the bench, rather, uh, with you know 10-minute breaks that are really two minutes. And so that is a huge thing that Steven Nash did not take advantage of. And for Giannis Antetokounmpo, he vanquished the Miami Heat in four. He's now slain the Brooklyn Nets. Now he is looking up at the world saying he would like to be the greatest player in the world uh, today. Now it's going to be, like I said, a steep price with Kevin Durant just outside of that door or in the room discussing that door when you can't even get in, even after MVP. But um, Giannis is definitely playing out of his mind right this second. But that leads us into 
prediction time. So that leads us into the Eastern Conference prediction and talking about what's going down in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, you got the Atlanta Hawks. Obviously, you got the Milwaukee Bucks. And when you've got two teams like that that play the way they play, you have a very interesting kind of contrast of styles. So, for instance, the Milwaukee Bucks are huge. you got 7-foot Brook Lopez, 6'11", um, Giannis Antetokounmpo. You've got 6'8", Chris Middleton. you got 6'4", Drew Holiday. Uh, even got off the bench are relatively large guys. They're big. Connaughton's 6'7". Bobby Portis is 6'8", 6'9". Um, and you got other key contributors with some size. Brim Forbes is the really only small guy on the team. Um, and he's there to catch and shoot. He's an absolute shooter extraordinaire. And so Brent Forbes is the only small guy on the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, when you have a team that big, you're playing a team that is relatively small. Yes, the Atlanta Hawks have Clint Capella. Um, he's the only real size of note. You have John Collins. He's 6'9", where the Bucks can roll out three people his size in a starting lineup. Um, you know, they have uh, Onyeko Okongwu, rookie, fairly thin, 6'8", 6'9". Um, their best player is Trey Young, who's 6 feet, 5'11". Um, Kevin Herter is pretty decent size for a two-guard. He's 6'5", 6'6"-ish. Um, from 6'4 to 6'6", depending on where you look. Gallo is a perimeter player. He's 6'8", 6'9", but he's mostly on the perimeter. Uh, Solomon Hill's relatively small. Lou Wills, six feet, six foot one. So you look at the Atlanta Hawks, they're going to have to hustle. And so the Milwaukee Bucks probably thought, you know, NCAA style. Oh, this is a cute little Cinderella team that's not supposed to be here. And the Atlanta Hawks punched him in the face. Um, Trey Young punched them big time in the face. Uh, he had 48 points, seven rebounds, 11 assists. Um, Giannis had a great, another great game that's going to disappear into the ether. Thanks to another amazing performance on the other side. Um, Trey Young got very Trey Youngy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call it disrespectful. I just call it being Trey Young with the shimmy before the three. Absolutely baller move by him. Uh, kudos to Trey Young for even thinking of doing something like that. Uh, as an absolutely baller of him. And it was not like the game was a 20-point game. It wasn't like it was front-running. They, they were up. I mean, it was a very close game at the time. I don't remember if they were up or not, but it was a very close game at the time. The game was never out of hand at any point. And to cross Drew Holiday, take your time, shimmy, and then nail the three was spectacular. It pissed Giannis off to the high heavens. He just, you could see him in the huddle, you know, shimmy. You could tell him yelling at his teammates like, this little guy is shimming on us. What are we going to do about it? Um, it was absolutely spectacular to watch. Uh, so amazing kudos to... Um, the Atlanta Hawks for game one. Uh, game two, Coach Buzz is going to have to figure something out. Uh, we know that Mike Budenholzer is not a adjustment-based coach. It's something we criticize Doc Rivers about. And Mike Budenholzer, deservedly so, should get the same criticism. He also has been known and lamented for not adjusting to things when he should adjust to them. And uh, he escaped Brooklyn pretty much due to injury and kind of luck if Kevin Durant's foot if he wears his size 17 shoe instead of his size 18 he wears on the court he probably that that two turns to a three and it's the Brooklyn Nets versus the Milwaukee is versus the Atlanta Hawks right now instead of the Milwaukee Bucks um so coach Bud got saved there unfortunately for him Trey Young has normal sized feet so Trey Young takes a similar shot his feet gonna be behind the line 
and they'd be going home. Uh, Nate McMillan, absolutely balling right now as the Atlanta Hawks head coach. Uh, they have gone into Madison Square Garden game one and one. They've gone into uh, Wells Fargo in Philadelphia for game one and one. Um, and now they've gone into Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee for the first game of the series, and they've won that as well. So Nate McMillan's absolutely balling as coach. Trey Young has all the confidence on planet Earth. Now you see guys like John Collins catching off the backboard lobs. You've got Herder pulling with confidence. Gallo shooting with confidence. Solomon Hill uh, is playing with confidence. Lou Will seems to have found some sort of fountain of youth um, in his play because um, of what uh, Atlanta is doing out there. And so huge for the uh, Atlanta Hawks right now. The Milwaukee Bucks have to answer. Chris Middleton can't go 0 for 9 from 3 and 6 for 23 from the field or something like that. That can't happen. Uh, Drew Holiday played well offensively, but he got absolutely torched defensively by Trey Young. So either Drew Holiday is going to have to clamp down or you're going to have to send double teams for Trey Young. Um, Giannis was Giannis. Can't blame Giannis for anything. He even made two big free throws um, to keep the game within shouting, to keep the game within distance late down the stretch. They were down three. He made both free throws, got it to one. Um, unfortunately, never take, they were never able to take the lead from the Atlanta Hawks. But uh, big time kudos to the Atlanta Hawks for taking game one. And now you go to the West. The Los Angeles Clippers in their second round series finish off the Utah Jazz behind a big Paul George and Terrence Mann performance. Uh, Terrence Mann scores his career high. Um, I'm not sure his high school career high is, but his college career high was 30. His NBA career high was 23. And Terrence Mann goes for 37 in, uh, in game seven or game six, rather, of the Western Conference semifinals at home with all the pressure on the Clippers to get to their first Western Conference Finals. Uh, Terrence Mann went ballistic. He only missed three shots, I believe. A lot of them were threes because of the way the Jazz were defending. Uh, Rudy Gobert was responsible for Terrence Mann, but they kept driving in from the opposite side. Rudy Gobert is a rim protector. He'd rotate down to try and protect the rim. They would kick Terrence Mann wide open in the corner over and over and over and over again. And Terrence Mann did not disappoint over and over and over and over again. And so he finished with 37. Paul George had a great game. Donovan Mitchell's injuries seemed to finally try to catch up with him. Uh, Rudy Gobert was absolutely tortured. And Ty Lue, for the second series in a row, for the second series in a row, rather, comes back from down 2-0. Um, they become, the Clippers become the first team to be down 0-2 uh, twice in the same postseason and come back and win those series. Uh, Ty Lue now possesses four 0-2 comebacks. Um, obviously, the two this, this postseason, he has another one in Cleveland as Cleveland's head coach. And, of course, he has the famous 2016 NBA Finals where they were down 0-2 and then down 3-1 um, before LeBron and Kyrie and Ty Lue lead the charge to come back uh, in that series as well. And so now he's starting to draw Bill Belichick uh, comparisons from his team. He's an excellent counterpuncher, Ty Lue. He's, his opening moves usually aren't great. Uh, you know, the first couple games, you can kind of catch him. But once he figures out what's going on, once he gets a beat on the series, they won four straight against the uh, Dallas Mavericks. They won, or they didn't win four straight, rather, but they won four out of five against the Dallas Mavericks and won. They won four straight against the Utah Jazz and won the series. 
and now they um, are looking at another comeback uh, as we speak right now. Um, speaking of the series they're in right now, of course they played the Phoenix Suns. They were awaiting the Phoenix. I mean, the Phoenix Suns were awaiting the Clippers. Uh, the Suns had about a week off between um, their sweep of the Denver Nuggets and because the Western Conference Finals ran long along with the East, uh, or semifinals rather, along with the East, they were able to get a week off. And so that gave time for Chris Paul to exit out of COVID protocols due to the fact that he tested positive for COVID. It gave him time. It also gave time to further evaluate Kawhi Leonard. I don't think Kawhi Leonard is playing the rest of the playoffs. Win, lose, or draw for the NBA title. Um, I don't think he. I don't think he plays for the Clippers again this season. As for Chris Paul, he missed the first three games. Uh, first two games were insane. The first game was a great game, and I'm thinking, man, if we get seven games like this, it'll be an amazing series. And then you get game two. Oh, the drama! You get a you get a guy in Paul George who's been ridiculed as playoff P, uh, scoring nine points in about two minutes. Uh, shot for shot with the Phoenix Suns organization at a certain point and to get filed up one with uh, 20 some seconds left and missing both free throws then to have a controversial out of bounds decision between DeAndre Aiden and Terrence Mann and then you add in the Valley Oop Jay Crowder with the greatest pass on a lob I may have ever seen in terms of accuracy score uh, past the backboard over Zubak, but flat enough for Aiden to go get it right above the rim. All Aiden had to do was just bring his hands down because there's no goaltending on a pass. And so absolutely spectacular play um, to send Phoenix back to LA up 2-0, in which case LA had a great game. Uh, you had Reggie Jackson, Rondo, Patrick Beverly, Paul George, uh, make huge shots, Morris make huge shots for game three. And the Clippers are currently winning. Uh, current, they won game three, and there's now they're starting to march again back down from 0-2 to see if they can get to uh, the their first NBA Finals after making it to their first Western Conference Finals this season without Kawhi Leonard at the moment. Uh, predictions for the rest of the series, I'd have uh, Milwaukee. I have Atlanta going to the NBA Finals. I have Atlanta going to the NBA Finals in six. They no longer have to win in five serve, which is huge. And I have the Phoenix Suns meeting them uh, in the NBA Finals, which would be their first final since 93. Um, I have the Phoenix Suns getting to the NBA Finals uh, probably in seven. I have them getting there in seven because game seven will be in Phoenix. And I would have the Phoenix Suns getting there in seven, uh, setting up a Trey Young who is 22 and Devin Booker, who is 24, being two faces of the finals, both under the age of 25. Uh, so huge for the NBA in terms of the youth movement that is on. Quickly to touch on some news. Uh, Dallas has hired Jason Kidd as their next head coach. He gets a four-year contract. And Nike executive uh, Nico Harrison is leaving Nike and moving into the general manager role for the Dallas Mavericks, along with running basketball operations. Um, as for what this could mean, uh, both have good relationships with Luka. Luka endorsed Jason Kidd. Uh, Rick Carlisle endorsed Jason Kidd. Dirk Nowitzki endorsed Jason Kidd. And so Kidd gets the head job, his third head job in the NBA, um, after he was in Milwaukee and uh, Brooklyn. 
And so he gets his third opportunity as a head coach in the NBA with one of the franchises that made him uh, the NBA legend and Hall of Famer that he is. Nico Harrison makes the rare transition from the shoe game uh, to uh, general management or from business to top executive immediately in the NBA. But he has a relationship with a lot of the players in his role. Um, he is very close with Luka. He has a relationship with Luka. Obviously, being a Nike rep or being a Nike exec, you have a relationship with a lot of the players. He has a relationship with Damian Lillard. Um, why does that matter? Damian Lillard dapped up Nico Harrison after hitting the big shot of Paul George. Um, and he has a relationship with Dame, obviously. And he has a relationship with Luka. And who was the coach that Damian Lillard said he wanted Portland to hire? It was Jason Kidd. Well, there's already reports of Damian Lillard's camp wants him to win and to win fast. Want him to win, to win big, and to win now. Well, they hired Jason Kidd in Dallas. Nico Harrison's now in Dallas. What's preventing Damian Lillard from going to Dallas? Uh, some package of two, three first-round picks. Chris Porzingis signing trade with Tim Hardaway Jr. Um... Jalen Brunson and some other ancillary piece and you get Damian Lillard back. Uh, so that could be something to look at if you are a uh, Dallas Mavericks. You got the coach Damian Lillard requested and you got a GM he, he knows and he likes um, in a great city. Dallas is a great city to live in. A um, little bit further, it would be further from home than he's ever been. Think about it. He grew up in Oakland. He went to Weber State, which is in uh, Oregon, I believe. And then he gets drives to the Portland Trailblazers. Now, Weber State's in California. It's on the West Coast. And then he gets drafted to Portland. Same West Coast situation. But um, Dallas is a great city. He'd have a hell of a teammate with Luka Doncic. And so that is something definitely to look at if you are, in my opinion, if you are the Dallas Mavericks. Um, in other news, Rick Carlisle signed a four-year deal to be the head coach of the Indiana Pacers. He was a coach there previously. He was an assistant coach under Larry Bird. And he briefly head coached the team uh, for a couple of years. But that is all we have for the NBA. Now we're going to shift into Major League Baseball and talk about what's going down in Major League Baseball. Welcome back in, and now we're going to talk about Major League Baseball, and like always, when we jump into a sport, especially a sport currently happening, we take a look at the standings. And so, Major League Baseball, we've got the Astros, and this is the American League, rather, we've got the Astros at 1, White Sox at 2, Tampa Bay Rays at 3, Oakland A's at 4, uh, Boston Red Sox at 5, Cleveland Indians at 6, uh, this is if the playoffs were seeded right this second. Uh, that's why they got the three division winners on top and then the wild card teams afterwards. And then on the National League, you've got the San Francisco Giants. You have the Milwaukee Brewers, the New York Mets, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Diego Padres, and the Chicago Cubs. Um, before I jump into why, because you know when I do baseball, I have to have a reason why. Uh, before I jump into why, I do want to talk about the division. The NL West is insane. The Giants, Dodgers, and Padres would lead any other division. <laughs> And only the Dodgers are the number one. I mean, the Giants are the one seed right now in the NL. And the Dodgers or the Padres would lead every other division based on win percentage. And they're, you know, going to be wild card teams more than likely 
because they play in the same division as the Giants, or the Giants going to end up a wild card team because they're in the same division as the Dodgers and the Padres, and they have to go on the road for the playoffs to worse teams. Um, so that is something I have always proposed in sports. I always said your division should get you a playoff spot. It should not get you home field advantage or home court advantage. You shouldn't get that advantage. That should be by best record. Now, um, in certain sports like the WNBA, and we'll I'll touch on a little bit more when I get to them, um, where you have so little teams, you can make everybody play everybody the same amount of times, get rid of conferences and just play that way. Um, baseball, you play 162 contests. There's only 30 baseball teams. Make everybody play the same amount of times, get rid of conferences, get rid of the divisions, and you can play, you know, the top 12 teams get in the playoffs. The first four get a bye kind of thing, you know, and there's no divisions, there's no conferences. You play who you play, you beat who you beat. It could be some, you know, historical matchups. You can get Dodgers, Yankees first round. Could you imagine the ratings? You could get Astros, Padres first round, Astros, Cubs, you know, first round. Some of these interleague um, contests first round just by getting rid of conferences, getting rid of divisions and just saying, okay, we're going to take 162 divided by 29. I'm sure that doesn't work out perfectly. You play everybody X amount of times. And based on last year's record, you may get a extra opponent. So if you play, play everybody three times, but you have to play four teams, four times, you play uh, teams close to you uh, or coin flip or randomize it. You, they tack on a fourth game to one of your series uh, kind of thing. So, I think that is something definitely for Major League Baseball to take a look at, to take a gander at, especially with so many opportunities. However, the reason why I'm talking about baseball right now is, A, it's about to be the main sport in America, uh, Sands, well, just in general, about to be the main sport in America, um, outside of the Olympic break, um, when, when basketball ends. It'll be the WNBA, it'll be NFL camps, it'll be Olympic talk on this show, it'll be baseball. That'll be pretty much my show. Basketball free agency, of course, will be happening as well. So we'll touch on the NBA, of course. But it's going to be the main show. So we have to get to a little more baseball. And it is going to be as a major topic right now. Uh, baseball is going through a... Remember we talked about last week? We talked about uh, sticky stuff. And how they were trying to get rid of it. You know, resin, uh, sunscreen, different stuff like that that makes the ball sticky well the ball is stickier you can throw it with more revolution moves more it comes faster basically you can pitch a lot better with sticky stuff on the ball it is a very good advantage to have if i was throwing a baseball i want it to be as sticky as possible i can spin it more so if i'm a knuckleball pitcher a curveball pitcher even a fastball pitcher it moves uh, more with sticky stuff on it because i'm i'm physically moving it more uh, physically spinning it more and more revolutions and things of that nature. Um, and so, of course, pitchers have been going a little crazy. I argued about Garrett Cole said big basically was pleading baseball publicly to get uh, sticky stuff back. Um, it didn't happen. Now they're going so far as to checking pitchers who are having good games. They're checking them, you know, one pitcher trying to take a shirt off. One pitcher actually dropped his pants um to show he didn't have anything i mean it, it, the pitchers are going to make a mockery of this because you kind of change the rules and i get that point you kind of change the rules mid-season you know which i think is complete bs there's no way you should be able to change a league rule mid-season 
because if I'm if I practice all off season and for months I can I'm using sticky stuff. I'm using resin. I'm using sunscreen, whatever, to keep the ball sticky. And then all of a sudden you tell me out of the blue, oh yeah, you can no longer do that. So now the training I went through all off season is moot because now when the ball gets slippery, I can't throw a little resin on it, you know? I can't put a little sunscreen on it, whatever, uh, to try and make the ball sticky again and just have a wet baseball. And so it is completely BS. I'm with the players on this one. There's no way the MLBPA should have allowed this. Um, if it started at so high as the collective bargaining agreement, they shouldn't have allowed it to be in a CBA. Um, that the that Rob Manfred commissioner can change rules midseason. And if it's not in the collective bargaining agreement um, and Manfred did it, there's no way the MLBPA should have allowed Manfred to get away with it. They should have crushed it uh, pretty much on, on the tables. So when it came out, they should have had a strike, boycotted it, something uh, to get that back because it takes away strategic, it gives a strategic advantage to the batters. Now, like I said last week, chicks dig the long balls, ratings are improved with these little spats between pitchers and uh, umpires. Uh, ratings are improved when someone scores eight runs, nine runs uh, with the ball constantly in the air. Uh, ratings are you know, through the be- are better with more offense. Every sport has reflected that. Uh, baseball has reflected that. Basketball has reflected that. The NFL has shown that. College sports have shown that. More offense, more ratings. Um, and so that's what they're trying to do, in my opinion, with getting uh, sticky stuff banned uh, from Major League Baseball. Uh, again, I, my only issue with it is the fact that they did it midseason with no advance warning to anyone uh, it was going to happen. There was no Romans in this in the offseason. Nothing. It just happened midseason, midstream. If I'm players, I have a gripe too as well. A um, couple of the quick points. The Astros on top of the AL. Remember, they lost a little talent this offseason. Um, one of the big three left. George Springer, I believe, is no longer in the Houston Astros. Uh, obviously, Justin Verlander is still recovering from Tommy John's surgery. And they didn't bring back Dallas Keuchel. And so you're doing that and you're the number one team in the AL, uh, which is huge for the Houston Astros. And the Yankees continue their struggles. Um, The very up and down play. They're above 500, but it's getting very up and down play. I had them as a possible 95 win ball club. Right now they're on pace for a little over 80. Um, And so 82, 83. Um, and so that is something definitely to watch out for as the Yankees. Uh, 95 wins to 85 wins, a 10-win difference could go from winning the division um, and hosting a playoff round to not making the wild card as well as the AL and the NL are stacking up to be. Uh, so issues in Yankee land, issues in, with the Bronx Bombers, and they have to get that rectified. But up next, we're going to talk about the WNBA and what's going down there. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back to the show. Um, absolutely pumped you guys are still with me. 
uh, absolutely pumped that you guys are hanging in there with me. Uh, I know I'm so glad for you guys to make me a part of your week every week. Uh, Fridays, when uh, I drop the show, I'm so glad you guys stick with me. All the wide range of topics. Uh, I love when you guys give support uh, when you say stuff like, you know, it's been, I, I learned so much this show, or I, didn't, I don't really watch the WNBA, so it's good to hear about it. I don't really watch Major League Baseball, so it's good to hear about it and stuff like that. So again, keep it coming. Keep the topic suggestions coming. I'm always open to uh, more topics. And again, breaking news at J Time Sports, iTunes, not iTunes, uh, IG rather, and Twitter. And of course, shows on iTunes and Spotify. But anyway, jumping into the WNBA, of course, new sport, new standings list. We've got the Storm at one, Seattle Storm, the Las Vegas Aces at two, the Connecticut Sun at three, the Chicago Sky at four, the Washington Mystics at five, the Dallas Wings at six, the New York Liberty at seven, and the Phoenix Mercury at eight. What makes these standings so interesting is context. So for context purposes, the Seattle Storm are healthy. That we can agree on. They're the best team in the league, and they're healthy. The Las Vegas Aces are supposed to be even better than they are. They lost Angel McCautry um, to a 20 CL in the preseason. She hurt herself against the Los Angeles Sparks in a preseason game that actually ended up tied. Um, you look at the Chicago Sky, Candace Parker. They're 4C right now. Candace Parker missed a good chunk of the season with an ankle injury. You take a look at the Washington Mystics. Elena Deladon hasn't stepped on the floor yet due to injury this season. Bettina Charles could possibly break the single-season WNBA scoring record set by Diana Taurasi, who's out injured herself. Uh, with she scored 24, 25.3 points a game uh, in 2008, and currently Tina Charles averaging more than that. And if it holds, she will obviously be the record holder. Dallas Wings—they uh, had the number one pick for a reason. They're not traditionally a good basketball team, but you look at Charlie Collier, you look at uh, Arike Ogumbawale, um, you have several talented young players in that Dallas organization now. They would currently be the sixth seed, the New York Liberty, obviously led by Sabrina Ionescu, um, and the rest of that crew, they're the seven. And then Phoenix is holding on to a playoff spot, and Diana Taurasi has been out for weeks. Um, so they're really running around with uh Skylar Diggins and Brittany Grinding leading the show, like I said, and arguably the GOAT, Diana Taurasi, like I said, has been out for weeks. But unfortunately, uh, the biggest news in the WNBA right now is a negative. Um, Neko Gumake, uh, 2016 league MVP, uh, WNBA champion, president of the Players Association for the WNBPA, um, which is the Women's Basketball Player Association, um, was not on, was not named to the 12 women, um, 12 spot women basketball team for the United States for the Olympics. She's the only currently active MVP to not be on the team. Um, one of the reasons why she wasn't on the team was because she is currently injured, but her injury will be healed a month before the games or so, at least a few weeks before the game. So the timeline does not equate um, to the punishment, basically. The timeline doesn't equate to the story. What the, what the Olympic team used as an excuse to um, 
not have Neko Gumiko on the team, which in my opinion, it was an excuse. It wasn't He didn't feel like a reason, it felt like an excuse. It was injury. And like Derek Fisher said, who's her coach and GM for the Los Angeles Sparks, that's BS because she'll be healed in plenty of time before the game starts. Even if she only plays 10 minutes a game because she's trying to get herself back in shape, she's still one of the 12 best women in the world from the United States. Why is she not on the team? Absolute BS. Derek Fish is called BS. Dame Lillard has said they're doing uh, NECA dirty. Candace Parker has said she called NECA and, and said it was BS. It is. It's completely and totally BS. There's no reason why a 31-year-old MVP of the league should not be on the Olympic team unless they were literally too injured to play. Like, Elena Deladon will be too injured to play. She's not coming back to after the Olympic break, I understand. But Neka Gumake should be on the uh, Olympic team. There's no reason why she shouldn't. And there's no disrespect to the members. I mean, listen to this team. They've got Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, Sylvia Files, Tina Charles, Brittany Griner, Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd, Asia Wilson, Aria Atkins, Nafessa Collier, Skylar Diggins-Smith, and Chelsea Gray. That's a gold medal team. There's no disrespect to them. Uh, the, the women are going for their seventh consecutive gold medal. Head coach Don Staley was on the 96 team that started this streak of winning gold after gold after gold after gold after gold. Um, again, no disrespect to them, but if you told me right now you want Nefesa call your Neko Gumake, I'm going Neko Gumake. Um... I mean, to me, that's the questionable spot. It's Nefessa Collier, who, again, has earned her spot. She can play. Aria Atkins or Nekagumake. I'm going Nekagumake. So those are the two that I'm kind of iffy about what you could replace her with. It should be either Nefessa Collier or Aria Atkins. Um, A, due to depth. If you look at the forwards on the team, or the bigs on the team, rather, you've got Brittany Griner, Brianna Stewart, Sylvia Files, Tina Charles, Asia Wilson. So... And then you look at the guards, you've got Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, who's injured and she's on the team. Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, Jewel Lloyd, Skylar Diggins-Smith, Chelsea Gray. So if you look at it, Aria Atkins or Nefessa Collier, neither one are going to be big minutes players. Unfortunately for those ladies, they're kind of holding Neko Gumake's spot hostage. No, again, it's nothing that they did. It's the unfortunate truth of the situation. Um, and it, it's completely BS. I agree with everybody else. Uh, when I saw the a list of names, I immediately looked and was like, what the, f what happened? How? And my first thought was, oh, she's injured. I mean, I had the same thing USA Basketball did. Oh, she's injured. I forgot she's injured. You know, her and her sister, unfortunately, right now are both injured. And then when Derry Fisher pointed out the timelines, I went, oh, no, it's completely BS. You know, like, even, even if you're going to name, name her to the team, put her on the coaching staff. But Neka Gumake should be involved with USA Basketball, she should be on the team. Forget on the coaching staff. She should be on the team um, unless she was physically unable to play. From Nobody has said that she would be, so I'm going to say she wouldn't be. And so Neka Gumake, with her 2016 MVP, her 2016 championship, leading the WNBA into the future with all the work she's done for the CBA, all the work she's done for the league in general, what she did for the Wubble, uh, what she did in the Wubble in terms of social justice initiatives and making sure it stayed together in terms of the season itself. For her to not be on the team is complete BS. Um, and it's a travesty. And so I know you can't fix it. I know you can't go back and name her to the team now. Uh, the only way that would happen is somebody would get injured and then you name NECA. But I mean, I mean, that feels kind of cheap. I'm sure she'd go. 
Uh, I'm sure the players would love to have her. I'm sure Don Staley would love to have her, but it would feel a little cheap. It would feel like, yeah, man, like all of what I've done for the league, basically, because it's the WNBA All-Stars and in essence. So all of what I've done for the league, what I've done for this country, etc., what I've done for the respect of women's basketball in this country. And as the leader in that movement, I don't get named to the Olympic team when I be, will be able to play for it. Her next opportunity will be three years from now. So she'll be 34. Maybe she gets named then. But at this present time, it's complete BS um, by USA Basketball. Very disappointed in them in their decision to not name Neka Gumake to the 12 men roster. Or 12 women roster, rather. But up next, we're going to talk about our best for last, which will be a discussion on the, on the men's side of USA Basketball. Welcome back into the show. Welcome in the best for last. We're going to stick with the Olympic theme that we finished off the WNBA topic with. We're going to go to the men's side now as the 12 men have been named to defend our country's gold. Um, there is going to be Kevin Durant of the Brooklyn Nets, obviously. Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal. Zach Levine, Kevin Love, Draymond Green, Bam Adebayo, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Jeremy Grant, rather. Originally supposed to be James Harden as well, but he pulled out due to injury. Um, So Grant took his place, and Drew Holiday probably wasn't going to be in. Uh, Chris Paul reportedly had committed. I tweeted about it. Um, several other sources did as well. And then Rose bombed us all and said that Chris Paul has in fact turned down the uh, USA invitation, which was the trend he was going. It was actually pretty stunning news. Uh, when I heard it, uh, Sham Sharanya as well, that he was going to play. I was shocked. Um, you know, it was, a little, it was shocking that he was going to play because the guy reported uh, I tweeted already that he was trending towards not playing, and then he decided to play, whatever. Uh, and like I said, then Wolves bombed us all and uh, announced he wasn't going to play uh, right around the time Zach Levine accepted uh, that he was going to be the, the odd guard out. And then obviously Jeremy Grant gets his opportunity to go in gold because James Harden um, opted out due to injury. Grant's been playing really well. He deserved it. Um, they don't. The men do not have the pedigree in terms of defending gold over and over and over again as the women do. I believe this is the fourth. Uh, this is the third defense, but this is the attempt at the fourth straight medal. Um, in '96, the men won. In 2000, the men won. So that coincided with the men and the women. 04, the men lost. Remember, that's the LeBron's team. That's when LeBron, Carmelo, and D Wade were all on the 04 team, uh, and they lost. And then the redeemed team was 20, 2008. Then the Dream Team Part 2 in 2012. Um, and then 2016. And then now you get this team in 2021. So uh, this would be the attempt. This would be the fourth straight gold attempt for the USA in terms of having the gold. Obviously winning in 08, 12, and 16. And now trying to get it this year in 2021 um, in Tokyo. Led by Greg Popovich. This is the first time in several Olympics that the USA team will be led by someone other than Mike Krzyzewski. Um, Mike Krzyzewski retired. Uh, Chuck Daly led the team once. It was traditionally you lead the team once. Coach K led it in 2008, 2012, and 2016. 
Um, he was the USA men's coach for 12 years. And then now Coach uh, Popovich takes over for Coach Krzyzewski, who's retiring this year. Um, Pop takes over this year. We were robbed, unfortunately, of LeBron and Pop together. Uh, LeBron always said there was one coach who wanted to play for the NBA. It was Pop. And Pop said those, and we've been rumored that Pop always said it was one play he wanted to coach. It'd be LeBron. Uh, they have tremendous respect for each other. And if it was if the Olympics, no, if COVID never existed, LeBron probably plays in 2020 and you get Pop and LeBron on one team. Unfortunately, due to injury concerns, LeBron pulled out of the 2021 Olympics, probably his last chance to ever go. Uh, he pulled out of the 2021 Olympics. Pop obviously stayed in. And so we will not get to see Greg Popovich and LeBron uh, play in the Olympics together. This is the first Olympic Games since 2004. LeBron James not in. Uh, first Olympic Games since 2004. Carmelo Anthony's not in. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, I believe, is the all-time leading scorer. The him and LeBron are the all-time leading Olympic scorers for Team USA. And so this is the first time since 04. Those two guys are not in the Olympic Games. Incredibly strange. Um, last time Kevin Durant in, he was in, he was 16. That's pretty much third option because Melo such a great Olympic scorer. The line being shorter fits right into his mid-range game. Um, and then you got LeBron, obviously. And then in 2012, when Durant showed up as well, that team was led by C- Kobe Bryant, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, uh, D Wade, and KD was like the new kid on the block. You know, like who, who, who's, who's a young guy. That's kind of what KD was. Anthony Davis was on that 2012 team. Uh, that was a dream team part two. Uh, concerns for this team would be size. Nobody on the team sans Kevin Durant is taller than 6'10". Um, KD 6'11", but he's not really a rim protector. Uh, you got Kevin Love, who's 6'10". Bam Adebayo, 6'9". Draymond Green is 6'7". And those are pretty much your big men, quote-unquote. Oh, and Jeremy Grant is 6'8", 6'9", as well. Um... So that could be a concern versus a Serbia when you've got uh, Boba Manjanovic and um, Nikola Jokic. That could be a concern. We know you don't have the concern of Spain. It's not like when Spain had both Casals and Ibaka. So, you know, it's you don't have that real concern. So I'm saying Serbia's size could be an issue. International size in general could be a problem. But no one's going to be able to keep up with us on the wings and the perimeter. So I expect the USA, especially being coached by Pop. Um, who's not had the greatest fun in the NBA the past couple of years to use his coaching brain to flex all over the rest of the world and to win America's fourth straight men's basketball gold. But that is all we have for today. Again, I thank you guys for making me a part of your weekly life coming in and, you know, every Friday listening in uh, for those who catch me Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate the love. You got the show on the Twitter and the Instagram. Keep liking, keep retweeting, keep commenting, um, you know, share the podcast uh, with your friends and family. Uh, have them subscribe, rate, like, rate, like and subscribe as well. I uh, hope you guys have a great rest of your Friday, or a great rest of your weekend, rather. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.